Welcome to The Oracle, a podcast for wild feminine wisdom channeled from the deep. I'm your host, Miriam Ropschitz, creatrix of Moonbody. I'm a guide for women sharing body-based teachings on the feminine. The Oracle brings you podcasts on womb wisdom, sacred sexuality, embodiment, and the women's mysteries. My prayer is that these conversations with my coven enrich, ignite, and inspire your relationship to the sacred feminine for a life of magic, pleasure, and power. Hi, dear listeners. Welcome to episode seven of the Oracle podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by my dear sister friend, Jasmine Rose of Humble Wild Wellness. It's a gorgeously wet, rainy spring day here in Somerset. Everything is coming into full bloom. The bluebells are out, cowslips blossom on the trees, apple trees, cherry trees. There are lambs gambling around in the fields. Everything feels so full of life, so fertile. And that just is such a fitting time to share this beautiful conversation I had with Jasmine Rose. Let me tell you a little bit about this divine sister. Jasmine Rose is a bridge between the spirit and body of the womb. From priestess to pelvic care, she holds the torch for women to walk the spiral home to their deepest feminine nature through all of the cycles and seasons of woman. A true resurrection of the love and literacy of our womb bodies. With Jasmine as your guide, you will be invited to remember the medicine of your own hands, breath, sound and beating heart as you follow the map back down into your roots. Jasmine walks and guides with deep reverence of all aspects of the womb and of woman. Wherever you are on your journey of remembrance, you will be held with love. It's my feeling that you will experience that holding with love as you listen to the way that Jasmine Rose speaks, the way that she weaves. This whole conversation felt like being in ceremony. It nourished my heart and was an absolute joy. Here it is. I think it's best enjoyed with a delicious cup of tea and a cosy seat. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Jasmine Rose to the Oracle podcast today. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, love. Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you for joining me today, love. It's such a gift. I feel like we've been dream weaving this for quite some time and this moment landing here and now is just in perfection. I actually shared with you and I've shared with my other guests who um, who were part of this dream that in 2020, I was living in Portugal and I was spending a lot of time working with the mushrooms and I had this beautiful vision. I want to make a podcast, but I want it to be a series of interviews where I interview 
my favorite wise women, medicine women, friends, sisters who are doing work that I feel deeply resonant with and also somehow connected to. And in my trippy state, I made a little doodle and I made like a web shape and I wrote out the names of the people and We've already spoken to Sophie Strand, who was on there. We've already spoken to Maya Luna, who was on there. And now I'm speaking to you, who was on that 2020 doodle. Mm. The web, calling the web in, all of it weaving together. Um, Yeah, there's so much symbolism there in, you know, the web and all that we're weaving. And certainly all that we've been weaving since 2020 as a collective. Um, And the wise women that are here doing that work. And so, oh, I can just envision it. And it's here. It's here. Our time is here. There's, there are several other women to be welcomed in, but it's so lovely to be with you here now and to get to speak with you and just to feel you because you have such a beautiful transmission of love and beauty and wisdom, just, just as you are effortlessly. And you and I have a lot of shared interests. And well, mainly I was thinking, how will I, how do I put this? But I was thinking it's so simple because our shared interest is that our work at its deepest, deepest core is about supporting women to come back to the womb. Yeah. I can feel just like the gentle tears of, you know, the journey that it takes to be able to not only walk into our own wombs which can be, you know, a really deep solo journey, but to do it and start feeling that web that you so beautifully brought me into the vision of, of all of the women that are also on the journey and kind of feeling this really beautiful undercurrent of togetherness. Um, yeah, it's, it's just such a special path. It is love. It is love. And I look forward to, I'm going to ask you a lot about your work shortly because It's a real joy to speak with a fellow sister who is deeply passionate about the womb and about sacred blood and all the beautiful things that go with it. But before I do that, I love to ask my guests where they are in the world and if they would let us know some of the plant and animal kin that they interact with on the daily What a beautiful way to open together. And I am in the west coast of Canada called Vancouver Island, which is a really special place that I didn't expect to find myself on, if I'm honest. And now that I've spent some time here on the land, I've been here for about a year and a half going on two years. Um, So going into that like second season just coming out of my second winter, which does feel like a really beautiful big exhale for me. Um, The animals and the plants are really what called me here. And I have been really intimately connected to the cedars, really intimately connected with the cougar and the bear. Those are two animals that I frequently interact with, which um, taught me a lot about bringing my innate, you know, wild animalistic instincts back online. I expected to come here and have a lot of interactions with the deer and the birds and, you know, went really big into the deep wild. 
Um, so feeling really grateful for them and, and their spirits and their teachers and really, you know, deeply woven into the river right now. Um, we go through different stages where the river will build and the river will, you know, dwindle. And she still always rushes in this really beautiful spirit of calling me into the spirit of my own rest and my own momentum. So really working with those beautiful land tenders right now. I love to sometimes go and see what you're doing on your Instagram and, you know, see in your stories. You know, I love to share my landscape as well here in Somerset. And I, it's so different to where you are. It's majestic in a different way, you know, such tall cedar trees. And it almost just feels like everything is bigger over there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it just feels bigger and bolder and the river is kind of rushing and rapid and yeah, it's gorgeous. So I love these little glimpses into your world and how closely you are intertwined with the land that you live on and your garden. Yeah, it's been a humbling experience to come into that grandness that you just described. There's two things that I describe this land as. One, grand, <laughs> big, big grandness. And also there's a slow pace and everyone that comes and visits me on this land says the same thing. Oh, I just love coming here because you know, you're, you're on Island time, everything's slower and I can just move slower. And, you know, I always chuckle because a visitor of this land would feel so much relief and living on this land. It can be, um, you know, everything's slower. The way I move through my anger is slower. The way that I move through ceremony is slower. The way that I move through, you know, all of the, the joy and the ecstasy and the pain and the grief, there's a, a grandness and a slowness. And when that pairs together, it's a very cathartic place to do this work um, because it really commands this pace that I'm not sure if I had ever attuned to in my life as in the city but it's really lended itself and, and allowed a beautiful befriending to my relationship with my womb. Mm. So, yeah, there's a mirroring of the land and the land of the body. Yeah, Whew. in a big way. Isn't that just, it's so precious to have the opportunity, have the freedom, have the time to be on that journey, to be you know, both having the spaciousness in our lives to be growing gardens and <laughs> tending vegetables and flowers, and at the same time, tending our own earth bodies. Yeah. I have one story that might feel really symbolic to everything that we're bringing in. When I first got here, you know, I kind of giggle because I, I was so ready. I was so ready to leave the city. I'd been living in Vancouver, so like, you know, big... Uh, bright, <laughs> quick pace, lots happening. And when I came here, I was so ready. And, and readiness is such an interesting thing, right? We follow the footsteps of our readiness and then we get there realizing that perhaps we weren't ready at all, but we were eager. <laughs> and I arrived and I had been here for maybe a day and a half. My husband had gone back to the city and I walked into the land and I noticed an animal lying down and it was in the garden space just underneath one of the only rose bushes on the land. And I looked and it was actually a dead baby deer. And I walked over 
not knowing what to do at all. The instincts of, you know, the human part of me that wanted to figure out what to do with this dead deer were really, you know, agitated by this experience in a way that caught me off guard. But there was part of my spirit that was like, oh, you know, you do know what to do. You know how to sit with death, just like you know how to sit with birth. And you know how to sit with, you know, those transitional moments in honor and in reverence. So the humbling part was being both in this human experience and being in this really like spirit connection to this deer that I had a little puppy and we were going out multiple times at night and the cougars and the mountain lions, you know, run freely here. And so I knew that I, I had to get this deer off of the land. And I went through this whole process of trying to, you know, carry this deer. It was much heavier than I had anticipated. And so I called on a neighbor and I'll never forget, she came over and, and I said to her, you know, it's really important to me that this is done delicately, that, that we take time and we honor the deer. And I was speaking from this really big womb voice inside of me that, that knew the way that I wanted to tend to it. And she looked at me and the sun was going down and she said, we have about two minutes when we get in the forest and lay the steer down because the cougars already know it's dead and they're coming. And I remember having that moment kind of crash into me of like bridging of, of ceremony in the way that I had interpreted it and then bridging the, the ceremony and the honoring of the land and, and the agreements of the land that were there long before I arrived and how to start coming into right relationship with the land around me, not from my perceived way of wanting to interact, but from a deep understanding of, you know, the cycles of death and life and how to offer this deer to the land as, you know, an offering, an offering of, I hear you, you know, I hear your agreements. I'm laying this deer down and, and allowing this to be in the spirit of the land, not the spirit of how I want to tend to it. And it was such a powerful moment for me of realizing, you know, my own humble path that I had walked was about to be really widely opened in how everything was going to change from understanding the agreements of the land and how they coincided with the agreements of my body, of my relationships, of my work, of everything around me. And not to go into that with any perceived notions, but to really become an active listener and an active seer and to get really quiet and hear the agreements of everything that was happening around me. And, you know, as you asked me that question, I just thought of the symbolism of that, you know, nearly two years ago and how that's really carried me through with this land and how significant it is to our conversation. And it was just such a big moment. Mm, that is beautiful love and deeply humbling. You know, the, the realization that you're not on your own timeline anymore. Yeah. Did it, does it, does it also bring to mind the way that we have to be on our wombs timeline? Oh yeah. She takes time. There's this integration of womb voice, mind voice, heart voice. There's this, you know, deep separation that I experienced as I entered into this path of like every, everything having its own kind of category of attunement, of embodiment, of connection. And it wasn't until I came into relationship with my womb and even more so now that I've come into relationship with the land. And I'd love to hear how you've experienced this as well. 
that I've started to really notice what that wholeness truly feels like. It's like the womb became this vessel that attuned me to birth and death and cycles and, and this really deep longing for home in the body that I'd never experienced. I always thought that home in the body would come from my heart. If I was connected to the radiance of my heart, I would always feel at home. And when that truth dropped, you know, many layers deeper into my womb, I was like, oh, this is what I've been seeking and searching for. But the collective and the world around me could only meet me in the heart. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is why that pilgrimage into the womb is so solo, right? We go on this this wild journey, this very like inner journey, inner pilgrimage. And then we allow the relational peace to come forward, right? We start doing this work more in community, more relationally, Mm. but it is such a solo journey, which is why there can be so much apprehension, so much fear, so much, you know, clinging to the sides of the walls, ah, Mm -hmm. not realizing that there's so many wise women down below holding a torch, singing the songs, you know, Mm. really loving you through as you journey on your own. Mm. And that goes to anyone who's listening now and is feeling like they might be alone on their journey of reconnecting to their womb or healing or appreciating what it means to be a woman you know we are this is a prayer this work that we do for everybody to receive and to benefit from whether you are working with us directly or not whether you've been born yet or not (laughs) I think as well I just want to touch on I think so many people would be confused by the idea that this attunement at the heart level isn't enough because we really glorify the heart as kind of the center of wisdom beyond the mind. And the heart is beautiful. And yet there is such, there is so much more depth and we have to go down. We have to descend into the womb. And there is a kind of (laughs) almost, um, hallucinogenic quality to that descent that can be quite disconcerting in the ways that it rails against the linearity of the organized modern world. It can be a very dismantling journey to go down into where we have to shed all these things that we thought we were and that we thought we wanted and that we thought were important when we find actually that when we've tasted that truth, that wisdom of the root, that actually that is where we are setting the compass to. Yeah. I'm just taking a breath into that because no matter how long I've walked on this path, <laughs> having a conversation like this, there's, there's so much that I feel in my body and hearing another woman speak, you know, the unspoken. And the way that I always like to envision this, you know, reorientation from loving from our hearts to loving from our wombs, which is the way that I really view the depth of my love. Mm -hmm. And the depth of my love even extends beyond the womb. You know, when I love from my womb, there's a root system, as you beautifully mentioned, that, that weaves its way down into the soil, into the earth, it allows for just this anchored 
infinite amount of love that continues to grow and seed and compost and cycle through allowing every, you know, person being living thing that I interact with to receive those roots as well. And for me, so much of my life, I, I really walked through the world, like I mentioned, wanting to keep my heart so open and realizing along the way that that was what I did and what I was taught to do as a woman through my lineage, through, you know, the woman that raised me and so many of the examples that I saw out in the world that when your heart is open, it's not because you can love more. It's because that is the narrative that we've told that allows us to be loved. Mm. That if my heart is open, I will be loved. I will be safe. That I access my safety by remaining open. That is how I will never be abandoned. I must be nice and, and lovable and forgiving and essentially abandon myself mm. in order to receive the love around me. And what happened on my own journey, and this might feel familiar for any of you listening, was all of the ways that I had abandoned myself in order to keep my heart open and to remain lovable, to access that safety, to walk through the world as a woman. I pushed the remnants of anything that was my true self that would have cast me aside or had me abandoned or, you know, would have made me unlovable to the world around me. I pushed that down into my womb. Mm. So my womb became the receptacle for all of the versions of me that didn't feel safe to walk through this world and be loved. And so, yes, my heart was open, but it was also porous and it was also leaky. And there was you know, a true self that was just dying to come out and also be loved and also be held. And she, her expression was righteous rage and, you know, having opinions and, you know, saying the wrong thing and allowing this, this woman, this like, you know, embodied, connected to her blood and her sexuality and her sensuality and her thoughts and her feelings, woman. And so, the longer I stayed within my heart, abandoning those versions of myself, the more dis-ease, the more pain, the more discomfort, the more uh, disconnection that I experienced within my pelvis, within my womb, my ovaries, my cervix, my pussy. And it wasn't until that voice of my womb became so loud that I could no longer listen, that I, that I truly began to take that pilgrimage from heart down to womb and then rising that woman back up through my heart and allowing the world to receive me as who I am, who I was born to be in this world. And it's an ongoing journey. It's this deep excavation, but that pilgrimage from heart to womb and then back from womb to heart, I find is really the center of the woman that so many of us know is inside of us but haven't been given the opportunity to, to nurture and to love her and to have her be loved, to be here in the world. That is said so beautifully, love. And you know what? I've never, even though everything you, you said rings true in every fiber of my being, I've never quite envisioned the journey in that way, even though, as you said, yes, that is that is my journey, feeling that to be kind, to be loving, to be in little quotes feminine is the way 
I will be loved and safe. And then finding out that I'm actually repressing all my wild, feminine, dark, feminine, <laughs> earthy, chaotic beauty and having to go down into the journey to excavate that. And then it coming up as a kind of back to the heart, but this time with the, the anchor of the root in place so that my open heart isn't going to be siphoned or you know, has that integrity of, of boundaries around it. I love how you said that. That is so beautiful. I adore the work that you do through humble wild wellness. And we've actually said humble or humility quite a few times already. So it feels really, yeah, really timely just to ask you a little bit about, about the work you do. Tell us, tell us about your medicine, please. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The work that I have done over the years outside of the work that I do in Humble Wild Wellness has really informed so much of how I walk with the medicine of the womb. And it wouldn't be, you know, a whole description if I didn't take you back into when I began my work as a birth attendant. At that time, working as what I, what we would call a doula. Um, now feeling a bit more in the birth attendant as, as a space holder and a gatekeeper of that really sacred passage that birth transformed me as a woman. When I experienced my first birth, I was both dragged into the depths of grief of how far we've come away from the wise woman ways of holding a woman in the most wild, expansive, transformational experience of her life and feeling the pulse within my bones for the very first time. I really believe this was the first time that I experienced that of, oh, I've done this before. Mm. And from that moment, starting to recognize the way that birth would shape me, you know, when we look back and we can see, wow, how has my work been informed? What does it really hold mm. in the center? What is it as its core? Birth really was that for me. It took me so far away from anything that I had ever seen on this planet, any book that I had read, any podcast I had listened to, any diploma that I had gathered, any certification. It truly brought me to my knees and humbled me again to bring humble into this of that humble wild mm -hmm. aspect of woman and what it really asks of us to hold transformation and not to save another woman from herself. And if I could speak to the core essence of, you know, how I walk with the womb, it really is that to be able to walk in a way that both honors that within myself and to know what it's like to sit with a woman roaring, right, on all fours in, you know, the midst of ceremony and human merging within her body and to be sitting, breathing, praying, drinking tea, mm -hmm. looking into her eyes whenever she glances at me and just giving her a gentle nod, giving her partner a gentle nod of like, this is beautiful. It's perfect. There's nothing I need to do in this moment other than be here with you and trust you and love you. And when I think of all of the ways that my work is offered in the world, that is really it at its center. I bring myself back to those moments of the dim lighting and the candles are lit and we're in emerging of ceremony and human 
in the same moment, a bridging of body and of spirit and holding space for all that is meant to come through the medicine and the womb of that woman, not my perceived notions of what the womb path should look like, could look like, who the allies are, who the ancestors are, what the prayer is even. The prayer is always love. But really creating spaces for a woman to experience what it's like to be fully trusted, to not be, you know, cast aside or have her voice need to be changed or shaped to my ideologies or how I want to view it, but to hold a really deep barometer of truth and to know what it's like to look at a woman who is holding back, who is not allowing her full roars or her full movements or is staying in a position for too long. So knowing what it's like to come over and say, you won't be pregnant forever. <laughs> this won't be here forever. So let's call ourselves back to this one breath, to this one sensation, to this one contraction. Look into my eyes, look into the eyes of your partner and let's walk through it in togetherness. And you know, I bring that forward because I do, to be totally honest with you, I have a bit of a challenging time talking about the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't know what I do. <laughs> not because I'm not like fully immersed and attuned. But because the bridging of mystery and and earth, bridging of known, bridging of unknown, of body and of spirit, there are very little words to encapsulate like the definition of that and this is one of the things that I love about it the most but I always I always like to bring that imagery in because whether you are a woman who is birthing physically whether she's birthing a creation an idea a version of herself whatever this transformation might be that is calling her so deep into the depths of her womb there is death that is required to be tended to also. And it's those moments of transformation that I really call that work of sitting in the ceremony of birth that has shaped so much of how I walk through the world. I really bring myself back to that and say, this is the heart of what I do because birth to me of all shapes, right? I've sat in abortion. I've sat in miscarriage, pregnancy loss of all kinds and, you know, physiological birth, babies that, you know, arrive earth side alive on the other side and babies that arrive still and asleep. Mm. And it is the most honest place on earth for me. Mm. It is the most honest place on earth for me. And I bring that level of a guardian, the guardianship, the gatekeeper, you know, however you want to, to imagine it. I really envision myself as the guardian of that honesty of allowing a woman to feel so nurtured, so held, so heard on every level, the multi dimensions of that so that her honesty can be in the center stage and she can birth herself forward through the midwifery of the space that I hold. Mm, I feel deeply touched just receiving that. And I love what you said about birth being the most honest place. Yeah. Because when we do some kind of work with the womb, we are being asked to return to what is true and real and here. 
So honesty is, you know, a requirement of any kind of healing work that we're doing, especially with somewhere as deep and intimate and powerful as the womb space. One of the things that you speak on that I find incredibly inspiring, beautiful, touching, is your journey with conscious fertility. Yeah. Would you speak on that a little bit, please, love? I'd love to hear. Yeah, I'd love you to tell us a bit about that. Thank you. I'm just noticing myself. I'm like swaying in my pelvis and just feeling so much softness in my body for the space that you're holding for this conversation. And so I just want to thank you for that because, you know, I've spoken about this many times that the the journey can feel like a solo journey. And, and it's really women like you that just allow so much softness in such a wild path. Mm. So thank you. And, oh, I'm smiling so big. I can feel the little nudges of my spirit babies here. Even Mm -hmm. as we have this conversation, I can feel the tears in my eyes that this path of conscious fertility wasn't always conscious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And isn't that the way? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've been walking on a, a conscious fertility, conscious conception journey with my beloved for it'll be seven years in August, six years in August. Sorry, we're heading into our seventh year. Um, and it's been such a big journey, a big, big humbling journey for us. I, I remember the first time that we decided we were going to actively call this little soul into the world and we were so giggly and we were making love and, you know, looking at each other like, oh my gosh, that could be it. Like a baby. (laughs) (laughs) they could be here and just the innocence in that never thinking for one moment that I would have any trouble getting pregnant truthfully Mm -hmm. and here we are for those of you that you know don't know my story I have walked through three significant losses and wouldn't change my path for anything in the world and I can sit here and say with the utmost truth and honesty and aliveness flowing through my bones that I've never felt more alive on my fertility path. I've never felt more in love with my beloved. I've never felt more trusting, more connected to my body, more thriving, just like pulsing through, you know, my physiological body. And that's not the story that I hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I work and, and touch into and just am alive as a woman in a time where that's not the general story that we hear for a woman six years into her conception journey. And I've really had to gatekeep that in many ways, almost like a protection of my joy. Mm. Because as much as I want to share my story and I want, you know, women in the world to know what's possible when we don't follow the general trajectory of the allopathic system that wants to trap us in linear time or even chronological time regarding our age. Um, when we don't follow the urgency of 
okay, well, you've been trying for a year. You're now classified as infertile. So we're going to siphon you through a system and we're going to save and, you know, help you quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here. Mm. What happens when we allow this path to be in guardianship of wise women? What happens when we allow this path to be in guardianship of our spirit babies, of the spirit of our own womb, of really deep self-responsibility for the path that we've walked up until this moment? That's been a really big one for me, recognizing that for over a decade, I was a heavy drinker, heavy drug user. I was in and out of disordered eating habits and, um, you know, was really hooked into diet culture and uh, the, you know, completely damaging beauty standards that we've placed onto young girls and women in sacrifice of their vitality. And really starting to have a conversation of what it's like to be the guardian of your own fertility. Mm -hmm. And I can feel myself even in this conversation wanting to say, but you know, you can choose and you can go into these systems and you can do all these things. And I'm actually just going to like voice that because mm. I want to, I want to push it away for this conversation and just say like, my heart, I hope is felt by everyone listening. And I'm sharing this perspective as an opportunity to really widen the lens of how we can interact with this time to really be included and really be collaborative and what would it look like for us not to approach it from this urgent place of, I need to become a mother. I need to, to have a baby. And saying, what would it be like for me to engage with this journey in full trust that when my body, when my womb is experiencing enough thriving and vitality, that pregnancy will naturally be something that my body will welcome in. And that we are on the timeline of a soul contract between us and these spirit babies. And in many ways, us, you know, learning to love and trust and experience the vitality and thriving within our bodies before we become mothers is the contract of children at this time. I truly believe that, that they are asking for us to experience a deeper thriving and a deeper experience of love dripping like honey through our entire systems before we become mothers so that we know that we are not only experiencing that love because of our babies. It's a thread of love that is instilled into us and walks through us through all stages of our journey, regardless of how life unfolds. And that is the message that I walk with. That's the prayer that I feel my babies are praying for me and why I feel so much fire, so much momentum within my system to have this conversation of conscious fertility really coming from a conscious place and, and being active in it in a way that is continuously walking us towards that love and thriving, not towards us feeling broken or, um, like we're unable within this lifetime to experience that without baby. Thank you, love. I'm very touched and moved to tears. <laughs> yeah. mm. Something that I find when I work with clients and when I've had moments of my self, when, I, when I've had some kind of, I mean, not for many years, but I remember receiving a 
you know, a test result that wasn't very nice once. And I feel like that fear that we feel, whether it's being told by somebody that you're not fertile or you're infertile, or as happens quite a lot with my clients, that they've just been told they have abnormal cells on their cervix and it's an emergency and, you know, cervical cancer. There's so much pushing towards this fear, disembodiment, and urgency. And I feel like one of the key things that makes us feel so bad in those situations, it's not so much the news or the shock or the fear. It's that we have in that moment been separated from our instinctual knowing of our body. And that is a horrible feeling for a human being to feel. So I love what you shared there. And I think it can be inspiring to women beyond just the example of conceiving and fertility, women who've been told that there is something not right and that they need to put their faith in the hands of somebody else and go to the doctor or the hospital or some depressing place. And the message is that you are giving so beautifully and that I am here to amplify is that you can be your own medicine woman. Yes. I have been mine against, you know, the pressure of family and friends and doctors at some point in my life. And I'm sure there is some pressure on you sometimes, maybe, love, from uh, opinions of others. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really funny, right? The more that it's not funny at all, but <laughs> I do laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, the more embodiment of my joy, of my thriving, of my trusting that I experience on this path, the more apprehension the people around me feel. Oh. I'm, I'm often classified as naive. I'm often mm. classified as, you know, not knowing or, uh, you know, what's the one that, that often gets thrown at me? you know, just this, this generality of, um, naivety that, that I don't understand what's going on, that I have a desire to be ignorant, that I don't want to receive help. And I, I feel like we experience this a lot as women, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, if we experience a pulse of, of trust and the world around us has really said, and, and birth is such a beautiful example of this, right? The amount of times that I have sat, you know, in an experience with a woman who is not going to the hospital for an abortion, not going to the hospital um, when she's experiencing miscarriage, not going to the hospital to birth her baby, mm -hmm. removing herself from, from a system that continues to put themselves on a pedestal rather than centering the woman in front of them. You know, you said it's so beautifully, this extends so much beyond the conversation of conscious fertility, conscious conception. In many ways, we have been groomed. And I felt that in my own body that, wow, there's been this grooming that has happened for me prior to this moment of actually, you know, opening myself up to help. Because I will say that one of the, the ways that I engage with the, the allopathic medical system is information. Mm. My primary value that I walk into any sort of clinical setting with is the ability to speak that I'm, I'm here to gather information. Mm. 
And I can feel the way that when that information is gathered and I am choosing to walk with my own pace, to take my time to ingest the information, to, you know, research and look into other modalities that I'm really met with, with a lot of like, you know, well, F you then, if you don't want my help, like, why are you here? Right. And in many ways, you know, that, that grooming and like, I heard you kind of go, oh, yeah, the ways that I witness this in my relationship to, to pregnancy, to birth in particular. And I'm using those examples because they feel the most tangible, but this really does extend to everything that you're saying in terms of abnormal cells on the cervix, everything like that. Like we've really been groomed to not trust our bodies as women. We've been groomed to believe that getting pregnant as a young girl is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. So therefore we must not know about our bodies, but we must be prescribed something to control that possible outcome. You know, we've been told again and again and again around, you know, the disease and the STDs and STIs around our sexuality, but never the possibilities of our joy, of our connection, of our intimacy, of the flooding oxytocin in our systems. We're always brought into this very like urgent fear-based narrative. And I've had to really sit with that in my own conception journey of recognizing how deep the fear of getting pregnant for so many years of my life has lived within my womb, that it has passed on information to the spirit of my womb to not get pregnant, because that would be the worst possible thing that could happen to me as a woman. And it takes time for us to unwind those stories from our bodies. But the one thing that I can say with absolute certainty is that we will never regret speaking for our bodies advocating for our bodies, taking time and honoring the pace of our bodies, and understanding the literacy of our bodies to create more vitality and love. We'll never regret it. We will not. We will not. Well said. And our our experiences here are very different. You have a lovely husband and you're actively, you know, making love and intending to conceive, whereas I am currently single, but I have, I am so broody, almost to the point where I feel like I could be pregnant (laughs) because I'm, and I, and I can't be pregnant, but I'm so broody. I feel the activity in my womb. I feel like it's a luscious palace inside my womb right now. And it's just feels so fecund and fertile and, 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 and active. And there's such a desire to be pregnant and to have a baby. It's a deep, deep yearning. And there is, again, I'm going to say the word, a humbling to it as well, because I realized that having gone to, for for several years of my life, gone to great lengths to make sure I achieved some kind of success, whatever, you know, whatever the fuck that means, before I had kids and all these things that I had to do before I had kids, because I didn't, because I, I didn't fully value the role of mother and the role of woman in those days. But it's there is a humbling in realizing, oh my goodness, that thing that I thought wasn't important is actually to me the most important thing. My own life being 35, it's so interesting now where people who, who love me and want the best for me are also starting to put pressure on me, saying, come on, chop, chop, time to, <laughs> time to get pregnant. You're getting into your mid-30s now. And I tell them, I swear to you, I have never been more fertile than I am now. And it's never been yes. a better time than right now for me to, 
I mean, obviously 35 is not old in the fertility journey anyway, but still culturally we have these ideas. And I always say the example of one of my favorite teachers, Uma Dinsmartuli, 56, strong, full period. When you look after your body and you are on a different timeline and a different consciousness than this chronological kind of drying, (laughs) declining view that we have of aging, that in itself sets you on a whole different path of health and vitality. So this urgency is so unnecessary that we put on women in their thirties and early forties. Being a birth worker for as many years as I have, the the language that's used around women is just, it's unbelievable. But 35, technically, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in Canada, 35 is technically a geriatric pregnancy. Oh yes, geriatric. Yeah, absolutely. For doctor said I was a geriatric pregnancy, I would not be very happy. Yeah, the amount of times that I've even sat in, in, you know, getting, gathering information (laughs) from my practitioners, um, and then letting me know, you know, I just had my 34th birthday. I'm like, oh, you know, one more year. And then you're, you're in this different zone of care. And I'm like, how funny is that? Because I can tell you with absolute certainty when I was 25, I was less fertile than I am now. I'm the exact same. I was still, I finished excessive drink and drug and party time just in my mid-twenties. I was just beginning to detoxify from that lifestyle. And I know I'm more more fertile now than 10 years ago. And can we just like elongate that for a moment? Like mm. holy wow. Mm. And this is this is the path, right? We're really starting and for those of you listening, I hope that this feels incredibly inspiring in terms of the the orientation to what we're really speaking to here in regards to the womb and this path that we really do find ourselves, you know, unhooking or dissolving or however you want to imagine it from this chronological linear way of orienting to the world around us. And you start to notice the narratives that you've picked up along the way. My very first program that I ever offered to the world was called rewrite your womb story. Mm. And the intention with that program is for us to actually start to follow the timelines and the collective indoctrination that we had experienced around our wombs, our sexuality, our sensuality, touching our bodies, the literacy of our bodies, our cervical fluids, our fertility, all of it, our sacred blood. Because when you start to orient yourself to more of a circular way, which is, you know, the feminine way, the way, the wise woman way, really the human way. Mm. But for the context of this conversation, like that womb way is, is bringing us back to that circular orientation, that spiral into ourselves. We start to realize the rigidity of those straight lines that have lived within our wombs. And one of the biggest ones for me is recognizing that fertility and the conversation of fertility is only reserved for prevention or promotion of pregnancy. When in reality, fertility is the life force of our bodies. And so much to what you just described is this, you know, beautiful teacher of yours still very much in relationship to her sacred blood and feeling the pulse of her vitality in many ways. You know, I believe, and this is just my belief, that menopause is one of those indoctrinated constructs that we have adapted and adopted within our wombs. 
And when we feel and we nurture and we tend to that, that life pulse and that vitality within a woman's body, and we really like center that, how long we could actually extend our bleeding years in reverence of our blood and experience that pulse of vitality well into maybe our 60s, maybe our 70s, maybe our 80s. And it really does dismantle all of the ways that we have latched fertility into a story, a construct that has adopted physiologically. And what would happen if we recentered fertility as our life force and we contributed to that in our, you know, day-to-day lives? What would that look like for us? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see, because that is the path I'm walking. That is the path you're walking. I will be trying to see, you know, for me, and I, I have a beautiful little story where my retreats, my nectar retreats in Italy, I have had so many women get pregnant. There was one retreat where five of the women out of, I don't know, 13 all got pregnant within the next three months. And these were very much wanted and intended and much longed for pregnancies. And the reason is, is because when we do these beautiful, when we take time for ourselves, when we eat well, when we rest, when we're in these soft, sensual, sisterly spaces where there is not the grind and the urgency and the terror... (laughs) That is conducive to our fertility, right? I mean, you know this so well. Yeah. Let me ask you, you are saying that you are in this incredible state of vitality at the moment. And I know that you, one of your teachings is on being a well-fed woman. So what could you tell us about your path? Yeah. So, you know, there's such a hilarity to the path of womb and woman. And the reason why I always like to highlight humor in these conversations is because I think sometimes in my writing, (laughs) it might not come across as how much levity, how much humor, how much humility is really woven into this path. And I love what you say all the time. Like we have fun. Like there's, there's so much joy and fun that can be had on this path Mm. and it's really deep work, right? So the deeper we go, the higher we go, you know, our roots soar down, the levity and the joy comes up. And the reason why I laugh is because I've also supported hundreds of women (laughs) in getting pregnant. Mm. And, and the funny piece for me is like, oh, wow. And, and it's still asking for my own time and my own pace and I've had to really unhook from how that has lended itself to, um, well, you know, I'll just say the story that lives in my head every once in a while and it's sneaky and it's really reinforced by the world around me. Like if I can't get my, myself pregnant, if I can't, you know, bring this baby into my own body, who's to say that I could do this for anyone else? And this is where the hilarity comes in for me that there's, there's an energy that's so beyond mm-hmm. the physical body that is governing and guiding the path to our fertility. Mm. And this is what I really want to highlight in this conversation that, you know, I have had so much fun in connection to my spirit babies. They are so funny and are certainly on my spirit team and my guardian team right now. In the time that I have begun this conception journey, I bled for an entire year, which we haven't even touched on, but my entry into this path was I 
you know, we decided that we were going to start to consciously conceive. And two weeks later, I began to bleed thick black blood from my body. And I bled for an entire year straight. And it was one of the most cataclysmic events of my life that really brought me home to my sacred blood that really, you know, began to guide me into my womb because there was no, there was a very tangible way that it was calling me day by day by day. And the reason why I bring that into this conversation of food and, and being a well-fed woman is because, again, if we are centering, bringing ourselves into the deepest vitality, thriving in love within our bodies, one, we will never regret that. And two, we are still contributing to calling our babies down through that lens of thriving versus the push mm. of wanting right? Of needing, of wanting a different timeline. And my babies, my beautiful spirit babies, I can deeply feel with me right now. There used to be one and now there's two. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm always very curious about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they guide me, they guide me every single day and it's so beautiful. And one of the ways that I have gone into such deep reparations between the war between myself and my body is feeding myself and undoing, unlearning all of the ways that I had been indoctrinated around my relationship with food. And let me tell you, I have a, I have a diploma in nutrition mm. and I came out of nutrition school feeling more fucked up about food <laughs> than when I went in because there are so many rules. Mm. There are so many rules around food. And so when I graduated from nutrition school with my diploma and I began to embark on, you know, doing nutritional assessments and working with clients, I, my soul was not in it because I didn't want to be another voice that was creating rules for women's bodies. Mm -hmm. And so I put my diploma down and I started going on, you know, my own pilgrimage alongside this conception journey, alongside this, you know, journey of love and, you know, experiencing pregnancy loss in between and, you know, tending to old disordered eating habits. And what I really came home to was what did my great grandmother that had like eight or nine babies? <laughs> wow. What was she eating? Mm. Where were my great, 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 great grandmothers with these deeply fertile bodies? How are they feeding themselves? How are they nourishing themselves? And perhaps the ceremonial ritualistic components weren't entirely intact at that time for a multitude of cultural reasons. But I did know that the relationship with food and the kitchen was the hearth of the home. And so I began to tune into a multitude of different teachers at that time who were really wise in a way that I hadn't experienced through my nutritional diploma. One of them being Jessica Ash. I absolutely love her work. Um, and started really talking to midwives. I talked to the beautiful elder midwife that I learned from, Gloria LeMay. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman in her croneship. She taught me everything that I knew about birth alongside Jessica Austin, my late mentor. And I started asking, like, what, is, what do we really need to be eating? I started having these conversations with my birth community, with women that had walked through multi, you know, decades of witnessing the decline of fertility and wondering what they were feeling. And we started exploring that really ancestral grassroots way of food preparation, of 
food tending, of food cooking, of eating. And even outside of, you know, I could give you a list of what I think every woman should be eating, but I'd actually love to center how. Mm. What would it be like if we were well-fed? And whenever I sit with that question, there's a part of me that believes that every woman listening knows the answer to this. That we have a lot of information, but what I really want to highlight is our inner knowing. We know when we're hungry and we know what we're hungry for Mm. outside of the story or the have to, or the should, or the Atkins that lived within our bodies when we were in, you know, our teens or depending how old you are, that there's a part of our inner knowing of knows that we know the answer to that question of what well-fed feels like and what we're truly hungry for. And it takes a while for us to excavate all of the matter around the knowing. But I believe that if we allowed ourselves to just be fed, and then we folded in the ancestral foods, right? There's, it's like the chicken or the egg. If we allow ourselves to be fed and to experience what being fed feels like, there's a deeper receptivity to the foods themselves. And so maybe just taking a moment for, for those of you listening and just placing your hand on your belly and just noticing how much of you is holding on, sucking in, tucking in. If you're wearing pants and you're not driving or doing anything that would <laughs> create a lack of safety, just like just loosening the material around your belly and taking a few breaths and giving her space like allowing her to expand to her full capacity. And then just asking yourself that question, if I really allowed myself to trust myself, what does being a well-fed woman mean to me? And what am I truly hungry for? Hmm. I'm curious what you felt in that, Miriam. Anchovies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to eat loads of anchovies. Salty, fatty, delicious. You know, full flavor. Full flavor. Mm-hmm. How often do we deprive ourselves of full flavor in pursuit of an indoctrinated belief around food in our bodies? Mm. I've recently started incorporating more animal products into my into my daily, you know, food routine. And I have to say something that you really inspired me with is that crock pot beef stew. I made it once and I thought, oh my God, it's so simple, right? It's like Beef, potatoes, I put sweet potatoes in mine, I put carrot, celery, some herbs, some nice broth. And I did you we did you crack an egg in yours or did I do that first? 
I mean, we probably both did interchangeably, but yes, the egg on top. Oh my goodness. And then some Parmesan. Yeah. A little bit of really nice. I've got this really good local, um, local farm that I get my very select little bits of meat and little bits of cheese and a bit of raw dairy. And they make their own Parmesan. And on top of the stew, oh my goodness. So I am quite new to this inquiry of being well-fed after eating plant-based for a long, long time, which, you know, I believe has some part when we are cleaning up and detoxing the system and we need to eat light for a while, but it's definitely not a long-term diet. can leave you very depleted if you're not careful. So be careful with that, anyone who is only plant-based. And, you know, I think it's really important to just, to just highlight that really briefly. I was often on vegan vegetarian for years. I've experimented with so many different ways of, of eating. And I bring that forward because I think a lot of the time we can be having these conversations and just be on the assumption that, you know, the person talking, <laughs> this is just the way it's always been for them. And I hope that I'm really highlighting that, you know, the journey within the journey has been the, the biggest blessing for me. And I'm still on the journey with all of you. There's no, you know, hierarchical way for us to interact with these conversations. Again, we're orienting back to the circle, to the spiral. And I've had a big path with food. I had disordered eating and, you know, you name it, which is why I went to nutrition school. And truly, I can feel the difference in my tissue, my like intravaginal tissue, my vulva, my breasts, um, my belly, my face even, like so much of the physiology of my body has transformed and become more mobile and adaptive mm. to my humanity since incorporating being well-fed, eating, you know, a plethora of, um, you know, animal products, animal fats, removing seed oils completely. This is a big one that really puts a lot of stress onto, you know, our entire body, but primarily our endocrine system, our hormones, our liver, and deeply impacts, you know, our fertility. Um, fruit is such a beautiful way to nourish ourselves. Oh my goodness, full of minerals and just the vibrancy that we, we receive from fruits. Um, you know, and organ meats are, are a staple. And I know that they're really starting to sweep and gain a lot of popularity. Um, so I always like to bring it back to like the wise woman and away from like a trend. Like to me, this really is not another trend that we need to bandwagon on, which is why I'd like to have the conversation of like, what are you really hungry for? And that well-fed woman to be able to stabilize that this isn't a fad, mm. like deeply nourishing ourselves on a cellular level is not a trend. Mm. We, when we are working and, and eating and consuming animal products, we want to utilize the entire animal. We want to be in right relationship to the cycle of death and the spirit of this animal that gave life to us so that we're contributing back to the cycle in reciprocity. And organ meats are life-giving to the animal, right? They give life to the animal mm -hmm. and they are deeply life-giving for our body, for ourselves. And so I eat heart, I eat kidney, I eat liver. Um, those are probably the three primary ones that I eat right now. Um, and I can feel the way that my physiology has responded from this deep mineral life-giving nourishment and the reciprocity of knowing that 
every part of the, the cow. We buy a quarter cow here on the farm um, nearby that everything's being utilized. Everything's being honored and consumed in a way that is life-giving and honoring to that cycle of life and death. Mm, how beautiful to cycle back to right relationship with the land, which is where we started mm. our conversation. Love, thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you've shared with us today. And yeah, it's just such a joy to be connected with you. I see you as such a pivotal wise woman in this emergent remembrance that you and I and many of our sisters are within at the moment. So I really, I thank you so much for your work. I love to see all the work you do, all the beauty that you create and yeah, all the magic that you are weaving. I would love to finish off this podcast by asking you a few quick fire questions. Okay. I love it. Yeah. This is just a little bit of fun where I get to um, pick your brains. Okay. Question one. What's the fa your favorite phase of your menstrual cycle and why? My luteal. Mm. Because I feel like I meet the hidden parts of me, of my emotions. I get to really experience the full range of my woman. Oh, I love that answer. What's your favorite food for your bleeding days? Like a, a delicious, nourishing meal. My husband's spaghetti bolognese. Ooh. He cooks for me when I bleed. Oh, what a good <laughs> man. Your favorite ritual with your menstrual blood? Um, placing the first drop of my blood on my tongue. Mm. Coming back to the original medicine for my body. Beautiful. A favorite book on women's wisdom? Mm. You know, it's so funny. The first thing that comes through is the Maeve Chronicles, mm -hmm. which actually isn't about woman's wisdom, but it's, I think it brings us into a little bit of fun spirited way of meeting woman. Um, so the first one is called Magdalene Rising. And then there's a chronicle of four books that go on from there. So I'm going to go with that instinct. Oh, I love it. And to finish off, tell us a film that you love deeply. Mm. film that I love deeply. Oh, there's so many. I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with love actually. Wow. I know it's, um, it's my like sweet Christmas movie. And I know that there's, there's so much happening in it and it's a bit more like dramatic than my normal, like poetic life. But I deeply love that movie for some reason. I love that you said love, actually. I was hoping you would say something that was a little bit out there. Yeah. It's, I like the humanizing. There's just so many aspects to it. So many stories. And I deeply, deeply love that movie. Mm. <laughs> Jasmine Rose, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for everyone listening. Thank you for your ears, for your wounds, for your hearts. And I hope that we meet again in some way. Love for the people who want to connect with you more. Could you direct them towards the best way to do so? 
Yeah, Instagram is the the central point of community where you can find all of my offerings, interact with my work, and say hello. I love interacting with all of you. So my Instagram is Humble Wild Wellness, and you can find all of my monthly offerings that are happening inside the Rooted membership through the link on that profile. Beautiful. Thank you so much, love. Thank you, love. Bye. Bye. So, loves. I do hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with Jasmine Rose. It was such a pleasure to speak to her. What a gorgeous being. The rain is coming down fast and hard. My garden is all bathed in wetness and succulents and the world is green outside my window, alive and lush and blessed by the goddess of spring. I want to give you a gentle invitation that if you would like to deepen into the feminine spiritual path with me on retreat in Italy, that the final spaces for Nectar are now available. Nectar Spring Edition is from the 6th to 13th of May. Summer is 19th to 26th of August. And... Yeah, these are life-changing retreats that really drop women deeper into their embodiment and into their practice and are an absolute joy to be a part of. I also want to say thank you so much to those of you who kindly left five-star reviews for the Oracle podcast. And again, I'm going to just ask if you received something beautiful from this episode, perhaps you would consider leaving us a five-star rating and or review at iTunes or Spotify. Do you feel welcome to get in touch with Jasmine Rose via her Instagram at Humble Wild Wellness? Have a look at all the beautiful wisdom that she shares over there. There's really so much that you can see and learn from. I leave you with blessings and love and gratitude and looking forward to see you here again. Bye.